Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. How would you define evil? Someone came up to you and said, define evil, give me a definition for evil. We probably have a hard time. Uh, I think most of us uh, would have a hard time because who gets to say what's good and what's evil? And especially it makes us think, is the world made up of good people and evil people, right? Uh, Especially in the last hundred years or so, we've had an enormous amount of technological, economic, uh, medical progress on every front. Uh, Humans are like winning, right? We're doing really well, so to speak, until we actually face the evil that's in the world. Um, And because of this human progress, we're kind of confused. Why do things like wars, pandemics, conflicts, diseases still happen? There's this, um, we're going to be talking about the death of Satan. As you can see, there's this guy who wrote a book called The Death of Satan, and he's a professor at Columbia. He wrote this in 1995, the repertoire of evil has never been richer, yet our responses Uh, Yet never have our responses been so weak. We have no language for connecting our inner lives with the horrors that pass before our eyes in the outer world. We shudder or wince, then we switch the channel, or we swipe up. (laughs) He was writing in in 2022, right? Um, This reality, our ever-increasing awareness of evil, it numbs us, it confuses us, it enrages us, but finally, it exhausts us. It's too big, and it might leave you just feeling hopeless. Del Banco suggests that we are caught between um, two competing, well, not necessarily competing, but two major narratives. One is the therapeutic, and the other is the political, when we try to define evil. So let's give an example of each of these. The therapeutic narrative couches evil in terms of, of victimhood. We are basically all victims of evil and therefore we do evil. Um, it's, it's basically saying that education and therapy are the answer to most evils in the world today, right? There's nothing wrong with education and therapy. This is just a narrative that says all of evil is related to that. Uh, the political narrative, obviously, it's a election day, midterm election. I didn't have my sticker on. It was on my vest, so, um, but I voted. Uh, you did too. Uh, but the political narrative talks about evil in political terms. And evil always exists in the other party, right? We, we blame evil on the other party. That other party, um, those people are on the wrong side of history. And the way you combat, the way you fight evil is in the voting booth. There are many other narratives I'm sure we could think of, of how we explain evil and make sense of evil apart from God. Um, But I think you can see the dangers here, right? Both of these, it's all about humans, once again. It's all about our human effort in fighting evil. Um, But we can see how if one of these becomes totalizing, if it becomes the way we see the entire world, uh, that it's going to kind of fall apart after a while. That it's, if if we see uh, therapy as the panacea, if we see politics as the answer for everything, it's going to fall short at a certain point. 
But here's the deal. Um, if we're having trouble defining evil, how are we going to overcome it? If we can't even agree on what evil is, then how in the world are we going to cooperate to fight it? And the good news is that the Bible uh, that's maybe sitting right next to you or in an app on your phone, the Bible tells a story that doesn't make an excuse for evil. It doesn't explain away evil, but it tells a story. It says exactly what it is. It talks about where it came from and how it will be overcome, most importantly. It's a personal story. First, of a holy God who created people good, a world without evil, but who were corrupted by sin. And this sin separates God from his beloved people. And this God, because of his holiness and his character, and because he made a promise to overcome evil, he will do that. He is doing that. He will one day do that, finally. This is the story in which we need to set Revelation 20 within. This is not disconnected from the whole story of Revelation, from the whole story of the gospel. So we're going to talk about it in three different ways. First, the good news. The gospel means good news. The good news that evil is revealed and restrained. Secondly, the good news that evil will be defeated and punished. And three, why this good news should give us hope. All right, so first, the good news that evil is revealed and restrained. In verse 1, it says that uh, this, this angel uh, opens the key, to, to, has the key to the palmless pit, a great chain, sees the dragon, that ancient serpent. That ancient serpent. What does that mean? Evil has a long history. Uh, it shows up in the third chapter of Genesis. The serpent uh, deceives Adam and Eve into disobeying the commands of God, eating of that tree that they weren't supposed to eat. And God comes to them, and he has a word with them, and he has this, this, uh, this curse upon first the serpent, then the, the, the man, then the woman, and then he promises to come, at, well, to, to, through the offspring of Eve, uh, that one of her offspring will crush the serpent, will crush the serpent. Now, the serpent was the form that Satan, the devil, took in Eden. And here in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, right at the very end, he's depicted as a serpent, the dragon, this great adversary. He's the accuser. One theologian put it that the devil, Satan, is the supreme revelation of evil. Now, I want to pause for a second and say, okay, isn't Christianity all about Jesus? (laughs) Why do we even need to talk about Satan? It turns out Jesus and Satan have a lot to do with each other. Uh, There's this Dutch theologian, Herman Bavink, and he says there's truth in the saying, no devil, no redeemer. If there were no sin, there would be no savior. And the seriousness of sin stands out most vividly in the doctrine of Satan. We prefer to ignore Satan. Most preachers would say, prefer not to preach on Satan. But evil is seen most vividly 
in Satan who shows us the potential of a creature made by God who has fully embraced rebellion against God and has become irredeemable. So we can see what evil is. The epitome of evil is seen in Satan, but he's restrained. So he himself is as bad as he can be, but he's not allowed to do all the evil that he could do. What do I mean by that? Verses 2 and 3 tell us that there is a chain put on Satan. He is bound. He is on a leash, if you will. Um, In the Gospels, every single one of them, if you... Uh, read what Jesus does. His miracles, yes, include healing the sick, curing uh, diseases, uh, raising people from the dead, but some of the first are casting out demons. Um, Jesus says that um, in order to cast demons out, you have to first bind the strong man. What he's talking about there is um, Satan has been put on a chain. He has been bound. He has been restrained and kept from doing all the evil that he could do with Jesus's entrance into the world. That something has changed in the spiritual realm. There's a new sheriff in town. Jesus is showing his power over Satan and his demons. Um, Jesus's resurrection was kind of when this, like the the pinnacle of this event, when when Satan was bound. Uh, Satan's greatest uh, weapon is death. And so when Jesus was not only was killed, but rose from the dead, he showed that he was not vulnerable to the weapons of Satan, that Satan had nothing against him. And this put Satan in chains. So this is a a good thing. Um, It talks about in in our passage, uh, this a thousand year reign. And this has been interpreted in a lot of different varying ways by the church, and you're probably familiar with some of them, depending on the traditions you've come from. Uh, But this thousand years is not, once again, the the numbers in Revelation are symbolic. It's talking about a period of time, not a specific amount of time or a number. Uh, So this is the period of time between Jesus's first and second coming. And there's really good news here. It means that Jesus is reigning now. That when Jesus came to earth, He was proclaiming the kingdom that was there now. It means that the kingdom is here now, that we are a part of his kingdom. Even though Satan is called uh, the prince of this world, there is a king slowly taking over all of his power. It also talks about uh, this period of time, including this first resurrection. And this does not refer to the rapture. (laughs) For, for those of us who, who read the Left Behind series or maybe have seen the movies, uh, this does not refer to the rapture. This refers to the spiritual resurrection that believers in Christ uh, encounter or uh, experience spiritually. Faith in Christ, it says, uh, Paul says that when Christ rose, then we rose. That Christ's resurrection meant something for all of those who have faith in him, that we rose too. There will be a second resurrection. That's the physical bodily resurrection um, in the last day. But the good news here, verse 6, if we could pull that up again. I I just want to highlight verse 6. 
Blessed and holy is anyone who shares in this first resurrection. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you have shared in the first resurrection. And it says this, over such the second death. And later on in the passage, it says that the second death is the lake of fire. Over such this lake of fire, this second death has no power. Meaning that belief in Christ means that you have no danger of falling in this second judgment. You have no danger of a second death, of this death of torment. This is really good news for us. This should give us um, assurance. But there's more. There's more good news. The good news that evil will be defeated and punished. Um, In verse 10, it says, The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. If you remember, beast and the false prophet, they're already there. Um, And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Um, There will be a time, it says for a little while, where Satan is released, he will gather armies, they'll rise up against the church. We're not really sure exactly what that's going to be like, but it will end in the victory of Christ and his church and the defeat of Satan. Evil will be punished. Um, Every resource that the dragon has at his disposal will go with him into the lake of fire. He will be um, defeated, not this kind of defeat where we can imagine like, you know, if you're a fan of sports or if you're, you know, study historic battles, right? There can be defeat, but you just retreat and you regroup and then you go back to battle tomorrow, right? The Clemson Tigers are trying to do that right now. We're defeated, but we're going to play Louisville on Saturday. Um, You know, this is not that kind of defeat. This is the end of the war. This is uh, as final as it gets that Satan will not have any opportunity ever again to come back and do evil ever again. Um, How is this good news? And why should it give us hope? I want to first, I I think I have three things. Yeah, three things. Uh, First one is hope in the midst of accusations. Um, One of the, the titles given to Satan is the accuser. And I don't know if I've ever encountered Satan in my spiritual life, but I do know what it's like to be accused. To be accused internally in a spiritual sense of sin that I know that I have confessed and God has forgiven. Martin Luther knew this too, and he has this great quote. He has uh, this quote that says this. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Doesn't that make you want to memorize that and be like, yes, I need that. When I feel like, yes, I deserve death and hell, you say it back to Satan. I do deserve death and hell, but Jesus experienced hell on my behalf. And I'm with him. And he's going to own you in the end. He is going to defeat you in the end. Secondly, we can have hope in the midst of despair. Um, Revelation 21 and 22 give a glorious picture of a a beautiful, hopeful new heavens 
a new earth. And this wouldn't be possible if not for the end of all evil. Uh, So the end of Satan is the beginning of perfect life with God. Um, This means that there is nothing that can befall us in this life that can separate us from that final end of the story. There is no chance that any of us who are in Christ can have their story rewritten where Revelation 21 and 22, the new heavens and the new earth, happily ever after, don't happen. That's not possible because God's promise is sure, because God loves us that much. He has given us this vision, this picture of the future, of what's going to happen. It's him and us forever. That God is alive and Satan will soon be dead. And lastly, we have a story of hope to tell. We talked about the political narrative and the therapeutic narrative. Let me just go back to those two. The political narrative places the blame on the other. The good news of the gospel is that we can see others and we can be honest about their faults, but we can also be honest about our own. And we can do what Jesus did. We, we, can, we can love our enemies. This is desperately needed for Christians to be out there loving our enemies. We can love other people because we see them that they're just like us, sinners who need Jesus. We can also see that there's hope beyond political victories because Jesus' kingdom is coming. It is here. The therapeutic narrative tells us that we are unwell, but never fully heals. The, The gospel says that we're more than just minds and bodies, but we are souls who will live for eternity, and we need to be concerned for the well-being of our eternal souls. The gospel offers hope for that kind of wholeness. There's so many people who haven't heard this story, the whole story. Um, Who will tell them? Let me pray briefly. Father, we just stand in awe at your work. Um, We thank you for your promise to um, put all evil to an end. Lord, we, uh, we tremble knowing that if we stand before you apart from Christ, uh, we will get what we deserve. Um, but because of Christ, uh, we will get what we don't deserve, yet you have freely offered to us uh, by the blood of Jesus and that salvation with you forever. Lord, we give all praise and glory to you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.